Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. So today, we're talking about another important issue. We're talking about adultery today. And for us to understand it, it's important for us to begin by reviewing a couple of important truths that we've talked about over the course of the last several months. We have, as a congregation, been working our way through a sermon series on human sexuality. We've called it something beautiful for God, a study of human sexuality. And we started by taking a look at the good of human sexuality as God has made it to be. Right now, we're in a section about the fall, about the broken or disordered uses of sexuality that exist in the world because sin exists in the world. And for us to understand what it is that we're talking about today, it's important for us to understand two important things that we talked about in the creation section of our series. The first is covenant, that when you are joined together in marriage, you are joined into a lifelong exclusive partnership wherein husband and wife forsake all others. When you get married, you are not making a statement of how you feel about the other person, but you are making a promise of future love. That is what a covenant is, a promise of faithfulness, a promise to have and to hold for richer or poorer in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until the husband and the wife are parted by death. Covenants in scripture are a big deal because the Lord God is a God who always keeps his covenants. It's one of the reasons that God is so good He is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. And because we serve a good, covenant-keeping God, we are called to be covenant-keeping people. And for most of us, the only covenant we'll make in the course of our life is if we're married, we'll make a covenant to our husband or to our wife to be with them and them alone. The second principle that's important for us to understand is this, that sex is a great gift of God when it is used in the ways that God intends it to be used. Sexual desire is a healthy desire that God has created in us. Sex is always a gift with parameters, and God is the one who decides the context in which it belongs. 
Genesis 2, 24 speaks of that desire, the fact that it's good and the fact that it belongs in boundaries. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and become one flesh with her. Cleaving to one's wife points to a loving relationship, pointing to the fact that the whole self is given to the other. So the two become one. Adultery wants to destroy those boundaries and decide for itself where sex belongs. It wrestles control from God's hands and places it in our own. And so today, we're going to try to put into practice those two principles as we talk about this commandment of God. You shall not commit adultery. Now, you might think this morning, well, hey, I'm a single person, so this doesn't apply to me, this commandment. Or maybe you think, you know what? I have lived with my spouse for 70 years and neither of us has committed adultery. We're good. We're good. We made it through. It's not going to happen for us. So I can just tune out for the rest of this message. Well, I've got to tell you this. We're going to bring things sort of ever nearer. We're going to be talking about the commandment not to commit adultery in the most specific way first, but then we're going to apply it more and more broadly as the scriptures give to us the call to apply it more and more broadly. Because of the way that the Lord talks about adultery in the scriptures refer to the specific commandment, but also more broadly about what sin is. And so we're going to be talking about four different things, and with each point we're going to be reading a different section of scripture, and so the points we're going to talk about today are these. Don't commit adultery, lust is adultery, sin is adultery, and Jesus is faithful. So let's start with this first one. Don't commit adultery. The command in Scripture is straightforward. Don't commit adultery. If you're married, you've made a covenant. You've promised that your husband, that your wife will be yours and that you will be theirs and that you will not give yourself to another. And the great gift of sex that God has given to us is to be used by you with your spouse exclusively. Not at any point in your marriage should you give yourself to another except for your spouse. Adultery is a breaking of that covenant by having sex with someone other than the one with whom you have made a covenant. It is a fundamental and an intimate betrayal. The scriptures tell us that if we hope to be naked with another We should be naked in every way. We should be financially, we should expose ourselves totally financially and relationally and emotionally. In order for you to give yourself in sex to another person, you need to have given yourself in every other way to that person. And that involves making a public commitment to that person with other people bearing witness to the fact that you have made a covenant with that person. I mean, that's what, that's, what, um, that's what a wedding ceremony is. It is giving, it's bearing public witness to the covenant that is being made between husband and wife. Now, sometimes we can get caught up in the beauty and the grandeur of the day, but really, I mean, there's a fundamentally important thing that's happening at a wedding ceremony, and that is the bride and the groom are making a covenant with each other, and all of us who are present are bearing witness to the fact that they made a covenant, that they made a covenant, that they're making a promise of future love. 
Now, yesterday there was a wedding within this congregation, Joshua Copeland, Tammy Mells. Now, because of coronavirus, it didn't look like most wedding ceremonies that I have performed. It was in the, it was in the living room of the Mells home. There were 10 people inside that living room. There were a bunch of people pressed up against the windows all around in the cold winter weather with hats and coats on, tr- sipping coffee to try to stay warm. And they were all bearing witness to the same sort of thing, despite the fact that it didn't look like those weddings that take place here when we have you know the sanctuary filled with people bearing witness they're all saying you're making a covenant it's that covenant that we're witnessing and that we're going to hold you to you know when I talk to you uh, in marriage counseling brides and grooms that sometimes want to write their own vows I remind them make sure that you are making promises to the other if you're writing your own vows. Make sure that you're not just making statements of how you feel about the other person. Because I've been to weddings, not, not here at Orland Park, in other cities with people that you've never heard of, so I'm not talking outside of school, where the bride and the groom write their vows to each other, and we get to the vow section, and either the bride or the groom is just like, you know what, I love you so much. You're the best. You know, you're my person. You're my lobster, whatever. It's, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that's said, and I'm like, you're not making any promises. You're just saying things about the other person. That's not a covenant. It's not a promise. It's a statement of how you feel about them. That's not what a wedding is supposed to be. At a wedding, you're making a covenant. Adultery upends all of that, and therefore it's completely selfish. Regardless of how you feel in the moment about the other person, it is a breaking of a vow. It is a breaking of a covenant. And it's the most intimate betrayal possible of the one that you have promised to have and to hold until you're parted by death. Adultery is a form of lust that demands that we risk everything. But what's crazy is that it actually promises very little. The whole point of an affair is that you're not promising anything to the other person, and yet, and yet, it takes everything. I'm guessing that most people who are here or are participating virtually today have seen the way that adultery tears up a family. It demands everything that you've got, everything that's closest and most important, To continue to engage in adulterous behavior means that spouse, children, money, and Christian friends are all laid on the altar for the sake of this momentary high. I'll sacrifice them all for a chance at this fling. And what's so scary is that all too often we're willing to take the risk. And it's because in an adulterous relationship you're given for a brief period of time this feeling of control control or maybe freedom. But what's happening is you are being controlled by your lusts. You don't control it. Now you might hear this and think, well, thank goodness I've never done that. I'm good. But here is the challenging word for all of us today, and that is that lust is adultery. When Jesus Christ comes, he comes and intensifies the commandments. Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount is a sermon in which he takes Old Testament law and intensifies all of the commandments, and he does that with the command about adultery. So let me, along with all of us, hear the words of our Savior from Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 27 through 30. Here is what God's word says. Here's what our Savior says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now these are some intense words from the Lord Jesus Christ, from our Savior. These are intense and true words. Adultery is not simply, according to Jesus, it's not simply the objective covenant breaking of sexual infidelity. That certainly is adultery, but it is also the subjective attitude of the heart. What he's saying is that lust is adultery. And lust is is a challenge because it starts out small. An insignificant glance that's held too long. A thought entertained when it should have been shut off. I can control this, I can control this, I can control this, but it quickly turns around and takes control of us. Lust is adultery. Allowing thoughts to continue in your own mind. Man, if only he or she was mine instead of my spouse. Man, he or she is really looking good. Whether it's porn or romance novels, it's adultery of the heart. Desiring another and allowing that desire to persist without getting rid of it is, according to Jesus, adultery. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God. Discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Desiring God is a, is a ministry that was started by John Piper. It's a great ministry. And there's a, an article on there some years ago. And I'm just going to read to you a portion of all of this. It's by one guy who was talking about doing marriage counseling with various couples. And he says that in his third marriage counseling session, he's not trying to rain on anybody's parade, but he asks this. He says, what are you going to do? The first time you begin to feel about someone else the way you feel now about your significant other. It's a nasty question, I admit, he says, and one that most couples don't see coming. The very idea that they could begin to have amorous feelings towards someone other than their betrothed at any point in their lives seems like an assault on their love and their moral fiber, but don't be deceived. Putting a ring on your finger does nothing to restrain the rebellion in your heart. According to the truth about cheating by M. Gary Newman, nearly 70% of men who had an affair throughout their life thought that they would never do such a thing. Further, those who claimed I would never cheat on my spouse were at an exponentially greater risk of actually having an affair later in life. 
Satan would love for you to believe that you are invulnerable to some category of sin because that will stop your soul. Uh, then you will stop protecting your soul from its terrible effects. As Jeremiah 17.9 puts it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or as Robert Murray McShane once wrote, the seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. Once the indignity of the question has begun to dissipate, we can move to the second topic. Have a plan. People rarely just fall into bed together. The vast majority of time when an affair is consummated, it's done with someone that they've known at least a month and with whom they've had multiple interactions. That means that there is time to notice the warning signs and time to do something about them well in advance of something egregious. He goes on to describe what some of those warning signs are, but the reality is this, is that Adultery begins far before the act of adultery. It begins with an attitude of the heart. It begins by allowing the glance to continue. It begins by cultivating a thought or a wish in your head and not doing away with it. There's a, there's a short story by Dave Eggers that talks about two characters that engage in an affair. They go on a vacation together, ostensibly as friends, and then engage in an extramarital affair. And the narrator, who is the woman in the situation, says, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen as soon as I picked up the phone, as soon as I agreed to the vacation. It's a compelling short story because it's a reminder that sin always begins before the sin begins, if you know what I'm saying. It always starts at a place where you know that you should say no, but you say, you know what, I can control this, I can handle this. And that point where you know that you should say no and don't is the beginning of the adultery. It's the adultery that takes place in the heart. And so as the Lord Jesus says here, is that we need to be people who have a ferocious commitment to weeding out lust. A ferocious commitment to weeding out lust. And Jesus says, listen, it would be better for you to pluck out your eyes than engage in lustful looks. It'd be better for you to cut off your arms than engage in lustful acts. It would be better to go through all of life with self-imposed physical deformities than it would be to allow lust to get a foothold within your heart or mind or life. These are intense words from Jesus, right? And the thing is, is that I don't, I don't think that we actually realize how intense these are. And the reason I believe that is that I've never met a person with gouged out eyes or cut off hands, and yet I have met people who have been caught in lust. Now please understand me. I don't, I don't expect to come to worship next week and to see a bunch of blind people because they've cut out their eyes. What I do hope and pray for is that we will realize how serious lust is and be utterly ruthless in trying to cut it out of our lives. Utterly ruthless. I, um, <laughs> there was a time in my life, I, you know, I love playing ultimate 
Ultimate Frisbee, and Aubrey and I were married about a year, and whenever I go to play Ultimate, I take off my wedding ring because otherwise it's going to fall off and fly somewhere. I'm going to lose my wedding ring. I've done that already. I don't want to do it again. I know that I'm somebody who could lose my wedding ring, so I went to play Ultimate not wearing a wedding ring. I, did, I looked like a single guy, and there was a young woman who came up to me and started talking to me, and you know how these things go. It was pretty clear I was supposed to ask her out were I a single person, and I was like, oh no, I am in a situation where I've got to say no right now before anything else happens. And so she's talking and mid-sentence I was like, my pregnant wife is pregnant, is what I said to her. It was really weird conversationally. And she looked at me and she's like, okay. And then backed away and ran off and never talked to me again. And I was very thankful for that. Because I knew that like to engage in this conversation where, you know, there's something that's supposed to happen. It was, innocent. it was an innocent conversation. She didn't realize I was a married person, right? But if I were to just engage that conversation, I knew that this would be a wrong thing to do. And I had to protect my marriage well enough to just blurt out that my pregnant wife was pregnant. This was years ago. I'm not announcing anything right now, just to be clear, everyone. It was Elsie. I was thankful for that, right? Because I did not want to give the devil a foothold and even begin like walking down that situation, even continue in a conversation where there was some sort of expectation that something could happen. Be ruthless in weeding out lust. Well, maybe where you're at this point in the sermon, you're like, all right, this is great. I have never committed adultery. I've never lusted. I'm doing real well this sermon. I'm good. I'm coming through unscathed. Well, let me, let me just tighten the screws a little bit more because the scriptures refer to all sin as adultery. And we're going to just take a look at the book of Hosea to see that. I'm going to turn there, uh, Hosea, but it's also going to be on the screen. Um, the book of Hosea is such an interesting one. I'm going to read the whole first chapter here. Hosea chapter 1, it's um, 11 verses. This is what, the way that the book of Hosea starts. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, And have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I'm not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. 
and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Now, Hosea is such an interesting book of prophecy. Because in the book of Hosea, the Lord God asks Hosea, the prophet, a man who is given the task of proclaiming truths of God's word to the people of Israel, he asks him to marry a woman who is a prostitute. He's going to take Gomer. And the scriptures, you know, sometimes will give to us in explicit language what's taking place. And the scriptures say that this is a woman who is engaging in whoring. And it's because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Again, these are probably hard words. It's a hard analogy. What God is saying is that the people of Israel have committed adultery because they've forsaken the ways of God. That the people of Israel have committed adultery because they've run off pursuing their passions following after other ideologies and other gods. And to illustrate this, God tells Hosea, marry a prostitute to show the people of Israel that they are an adulterous people. Now part of why this is a hard word is that it reminds us that sin, all sin, is adultery. It is an intimate and fundamental betrayal of our relationship with the Lord God. We're tempted. We're tempted to believe that sin is not so serious as we might imagine. But listen, it is so serious. All sin is. It's so serious. All sin is a deep, intimate, emotional, physical, spiritual betrayal of our relationship with the Lord God. A Lord who has redeemed us by his son and brought us into covenantal relationship with him and promised that he's never going to let us go and promised that he will always be faithful to us. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.